was your lunch? How's it being outside? Beautiful day. Is it warm enough to sit outside? Yeah, good, good. East Coast tomorrow for a book tour. I don't think it will be sitting outside having my lunch in the snow. All right, so, so many things to talk about in this theme of love. So multifaceted, so rich, and so many dimensions. So I'll start with a poem from... Mary Oliver. Here is a story to break your heart. Are you willing? This winter the loons came to our harbor and died one by one of nothing we could see. A friend told me of one on the shore that lifted its head and opened the elegant beak and cried out in the long, sweet savoring of its life, which if you ever heard it, you know is a sacred thing. And for which, if you've not heard it, you had better hurry for where they still sing. And believe me, tell no one just where that is. The next morning, this loon, speckled and iridescent and with a plan to fly home to some hidden lake, was dead on the shore. I tell you, I tell you this to break your heart, by which I mean only that it break open and never close again to the rest of the world. Break open. Not break, I don't think hearts break, but they can break open. It's one of the invitations of the practice to hear the call, you could say, for the heart to open. Everything, everything moves, everything is oscillating, opening, contracting in life, including our heart. And um, and there's an invitation for opening. Invitation for a certain movement in our life, in our practice. Interesting that you know in this in this era in this era of neuroscience research on the brain and meditation, you know, and mindfulness has been researched a lot, and now um, the heart practices are being researched more compassion and. And um, how that also revealing both not just the hardwired nature of of caring in the in, in the psyche, but also that it lights up the well-being and happiness centers when we're caring, when we're generous, when we're kind, when we're compassionate. Hardwired for that to actually feel good, because that's how we survive as a species. Stretch our hearts even more these days. We're having to wake up to uh, having a sense of an, an, a, an ambit of concern, not just for our nearest kith and kin, but to uh, whole species and populations. We, we, become, we are becoming a smaller planet in a certain way, and our hearts are being asked to widen, to be more inclusive. Because if we don't, we're not going to survive as a species.
So I want to speak some this afternoon to uh, the shifting of the heart from kindness to compassion. What happens when we touch the pain of ourselves or loved ones or the pain of the world? What happens in our hearts or what can happen in our hearts? You know, what can feeling fear or contraction, if we're feeling fear or guardedness, the heart closes. Reflect on how you respond to pain, your own pain, the pain of others. Does your heart stay open and curious? Oh, sadness, interesting. Oh, loneliness, oh, let me explore that. Oh, deficiency, mm, let me really feel into the depth of that. anxiety of others or the fear of others, distress of others, do, do, we, do we welcome that in or do we hope it goes away? Do we recoil in some way, you know, which we might naturally? So I like to read this story, I haven't read it for a while, um, and I think it's a beautiful example of what compassion is, which is basically a tender-hearted response to the suffering of another. It's an attunement to the pain of another, uh, without fixing, without recoiling, uh, without problem-solving necessarily, but just simply bearing witness. There's a lot of suffering in the world, there's a lot of uh, need for us to bear witness to our own pain and the pain of others and the pain of the world. So this is a story written by a taxi driver. And um, he writes, I arrived at the address and honked the horn. After waiting a few minutes, I honked again. Since this was going to be my last ride of my shift, I thought about driving away, but instead I put the car in park and walked up to the door and knocked. Just a minute, answered a frail elderly voice. I could hear something being dragged across the floor. After a long pause, the door opened. A small woman in her 90s stood before me, wearing a print dress and pillbox hat with a veil pinned on it. By her side was a nylon, small nylon suitcase. The apartment looked like as if no one had lived in it for years. All the furniture was covered with sheets. No clocks on the walls, no knickknacks. Would you carry my bag out to the car, she said. I took the suitcase to the cab and returned to assist the woman. When we got to the cab, she gave me an address and asked, could you drive through downtown on the way? And I said, it's not the shortest way. And she answered quickly, oh, I don't mind, she said. I'm in no hurry, I'm on my way to hospice. I looked in the rear view mirror, her eyes were glistening. I don't have any family left, she continued in a soft voice. The doctor says I don't have very long. I quietly reached over and shut off the meter. What route would you like me to take, I asked. For the next two hours, we drove through the city. She showed me the building where she once worked as an elevator operator, had me pull up in front of a furniture warehouse that had once been a ballroom where she'd gone dancing as a girl. Sometimes she'd ask me to slow in front of a particular building or corner and would sit staring into the darkness, saying nothing. 
as the first hint of the sun was creasing the horizon, she suddenly said, I'm tired now, let's go. We drove in silence to the address she'd given me. It was a low building, like a convalescent home. Two orderlies came out to the cab as we pulled up. I opened the trunk, took the suitcase to the door. The woman was already seated in the wheelchair. Almost without thinking, I bent and gave her a hug. She held onto me tightly. You gave an old woman a little moment of joy, she said. Thank you. I squeezed her hand and walked out into the dim morning light. Behind me, a door shut. It was the sound of the closing of a life. I didn't pick up any more passengers that shift. I drove aimlessly lost in thought. For the rest of the day, I could hardly talk. What if that woman had gotten an angry driver, or one who was impatient to end his shift? What if I'd refused to take the run, or honked once and driven away? On a quick review, I don't think I've done anything more important in my life. So, there you have the simplicity of the human heart. Right? Here's someone in a very, very, very vulnerable, tender place in her life. And he simply is present. He bears witness, takes the time to be with her, to drive her around, to listen, and attune to that, that sensitive tenderness of, of life. And to me, that's, I like this story because it's a beautiful integration of awareness and kindness, as I was talking about this morning, that you know, we have to be present to be with each other. And that presence uh, has to be infused with warmth. So when we do meet that kind of tenderness or vulnerability, there's, a, there's, a, there's an appropriate response, there's a kind response. And that's really what this practice is about, is you know, training us. We train in meditation to develop certain qualities and capacities, presence, non-reactivity, compassion, in the service of us having that more um, available in our life. Right? So we're more responsive in our life. Right? Just like great athletes, they practice and practice and practice, so when they're on the court, it's effortless, because it's just in them. Right? In the same way that we can cultivate this warm-heartedness and kindness and presence and awareness. So there's more availability when circumstances uh, needed, you know, ask for it. So, um, and this is where our Dharma practice really comes in, in handy, in that in mindfulness practice, we train ourselves to be present to what is. Right? And sometimes that's very delicious and calm and peaceful and yummy. And other times it's very hard and restless and painful and irritating and difficult and sad. Right? And so we build this tenacity of presence that we are able to stand firm in our, in our seat as we, as we meet the ups and downs of life in ourselves and the pain of others. Rain cut out just as the sound cut out. I wasn't sure which one went first. I think that sound went out first and then I was like, where did that thought go? <laughs> it went into the... somewhere. Just like the sound system, it takes a while.
Yeah, I lost it again. Um, right, so, the, so the practice is training us in how we turn towards the difficult. Right? How to stand steady in that. And compassion is the turning towards the difficult, turning towards pain. Right? It's a responsiveness in the heart that, that you know, I think the Buddha or somebody talked about, it's the quivering of the heart in response to the pain of the world. Right? So our heart is tender, we feel. Right? So with mindfulness we become more aware, with, with the heart practices we become more connected and relational in relationship to another's pain. Right? It's not bypassing over it, it's not fixing it, it's actually hanging out with someone like the taxi driver did in the midst of whatever you know, tender, vulnerable thing that we or others are going through. Right? And this takes, this is a, uh, it's a tenacity. This is from Eli, we- I'm not sure how you pronounce this, Eli Weissel? 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 Uh, Noble Laureate, he writes, um, suffering confers neither privileges nor rights. It all depends on how you use it. If you use it to increase the anguish of yourself or others, you are degrading it, even betraying it. Yet the day will come when we shall understand that suffering can also elevate human beings. Practice helps us to bear our suffering well. Practice helps us bear our suffering. So three different facets of compassion. And it builds on empathy, which builds on mindfulness. Without mindfulness, we don't have that empathic understanding of what others are going through, because we don't know what's going on here. So it has an effective component. We feel what someone else is feeling. We feel their pain, their sadness. It has a cognitive component, which is we can put ourselves in their shoes. We can imagine how harrowing it might be for someone who's flown in from Somalia or flown in from Syria, who's trying to escape, say, um, religious persecution, right? who's come to America for refuge, and then they're told at the border, no, you, you know, as of yesterday, you're no longer welcome in the country. Right? We can imagine the horror and terror that that person must be going through, and the confusion. And, right? that's, the, that's the cognitive side of um, uh, empathy, of... of um, being really able to sense what I mean, putting ourselves in their shoes. And then the compassion piece, which is in an, an, an addition to, to the, um, the empathic resonance, is the wish to relieve, the wish to uh, uh, free the suffering. Yeah. So it's, a respo- it's, a, it's an active responding of the heart, of the being, of the mind to pain. Active can mean, when I say active, what the taxi driver did was active but not necessarily fixing because there's nothing to fix. She's going into hospice. There's nothing to fix. But there's an importance in being with, bearing witness to that, or in, the, in that case, her situation. Another story, um, just to sort of... Responsive dimension of compassion and it's from 
one of my favorite organizations, servicespace.org. For those of you who know it, servicespace.org, if you're in need of uh, daily reminders of the goodness of humanity, go to this website, sign up for their daily newsletter. It's the only one I ever read. I unsubscribe from everything else. <laughs> but they, they're just full of incredibly heartwarming stories and, and, and also people, and they do great action in the world. And yeah, this is a story from there. So I haven't had a job since April of 2011 due to multiple health issues. I currently draw disability, but I'm having trouble finding money at the end of the month. So I decided to look for a part-time job. I've been applying, interviewing since July with no prospects. This Tuesday evening, I was, it was freezing cold outside and going on 9 p.m. as I was waiting at the city bus stop. Just as the bus pulled up, a young woman walked to the bus stop. She had a t-shirt and flip-flops on and hospital bracelets. I asked her name and if she had a coat or anywhere to go. She quickly told me she had lost her apartment because she'd lost her job and then got very sick and was put in hospital. She has no family in the area and didn't even know where she was going to sleep that night. I dug in my purse and took out some bus tickets and five dollars so she could get something to eat. I then took off my jacket and tennis shoes and gave them to her. I said these are a little big but they should keep you warm. She looked at me and said, aren't you going to be cold? I told her f me being cold for 50 minutes until I get to my place is worth it. If I, th if I know you'll be a little warmer wherever you end up. She cried and thanked me with a hug. I just told her to pass it on. Then after I got on the bus, that's when the miracle of spreading kindness happens, happened. I stepped up to pay the, the fare and the bus driver says, ma'am, I saw what you just did and your fare is on me. Even though technically we aren't allowed to, supposed to, we aren't supposed to let you on the bus without shoes, he said with a wink. I went, down, I went to sit down, this lady who was dressed in a very professional business suit calls me over and says, I want to know the name of the person who just did the most inspiring thing I've ever seen. I told her my name and she's like, what can I do for you to give back? What, what can I do to you, for you to give, to give back what I just witnessed? And then the story goes on, she ends up being able to give her work. And, but the point of the story is the responsiveness. There's a situation, someone's cold, it shows up with barely next to nothing and she gives up her shoes, she gives up her coat you know, to a stranger. Beautiful. It happens every day. Every day millions and millions of kind, caring, compassionate actions to homeless people, to those who are sick, to our elderly relatives, to, you know, we, we thrive as a species on kindness and compassion and caring for the sick and the vulnerable. Uh, this, this is the goodness of the human heart. And like anything, and like any capacity, it has its innate quality and it has its full dimension of caring for anybody and everybody, regardless of who they are or whether we receive anything in return. And we can grow the heart. And also the, the, this part of the heart can also get shut down. We can get overwhelmed by the suffering in the world. We can feel fear, or we can feel like these people aren't my people, those people are over there, these people aren't. And so we, just like with our love, we tend, we tend to reserve our love for some more than others. Mm. So, but I, I really like to remind people of, 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 to remember the goodness in your own heart. That... Um, not something foreign to you, right? 
that however, however you feel about yourself, that you have a heart that cares. However buried that might feel, however frozen that might feel, however hurt that might feel, it's still there, that capacity to care, the capacity to love. Cartoon from Gary Larson of uh, the devil, he's in, he's in Satan, he's in his fiery, fiery um, hell. And um, this is the far side comics and uh, Satan's in there and He's, um, he's shouting to his mother, no, mother, no, stop doing that. And the caption under the, uh, the picture is, it says, despite his repeated efforts to restrain her from doing so, Satan could never stop his mother from offering cookies and milk to the accursed. <laughs> so she's in there, and there's a fresh round of recruits coming into hell, and she's there with a penny and her horns and this tray of milk and cookies, you know. And you know, and it also starts with ourselves. You know, how are we with our own pain? Because how we are here is, of course, how we are there. You know, I used to see this a lot as a as a therapist or as a coach, or when I do my one-on-one work with students. The extent I'd done my own work here with my own stuff and pain and trauma and neurosis and all the things that. I was uncomfortable or had struggles with in myself, to the extent I hadn't done that work, to the extent I didn't have the capacity to work with that in someone else, to the extent I was limited in that, in my ability to serve. Because if I was afraid or judging of something here, I'm going to probably have some flavor of that out there. It's, it limits our, our heart. Right? And so we were. Ideally, we're learning to unbridle the heart's capacity. It's a beautiful thing. So to ask yourself, you know, what's my relationship to my own difficulty? Where, where's the rub for you in, in opening to yourself? You know, we all have our places that are not easy to be with, that we don't like, that we'd prefer were different or gone, or um, you know, it's usually some area of vulnerability. story is a, is a storytelling this afternoon. Last story. So this is one of my favorite stories of self-compassion. And um, it's about, well, I'll just read it. So the man is observing a woman in the grocery store with a three-year-old girl in the basket, in a her, in her shopping cart. As they pass the cookie section, the little girl asks for cookies and the mother tells her no. The little girl immediately begins to whine and fuss upon hearing no cookies will be bought. And the mother says quietly, now Monica, we have only half of the aisles left to go through. Don't be upset, it won't be long. Soon they come to the candy aisle and again the little girl begins to shout for candy. And and again, hearing there's no candy being bought, uh, the mother then also tries to console her and says, there, there, Monica, don't cry, only two more aisles to go, and then we'll be checking out. When they get to the checkout stand, of course, the little girl again begins to clamor for gum and bursts into terrible tantrum upon discovering no gum purchased. The mother says patiently, Monica, we'll be through this checkout stand in five minutes, then you can go home and have a nice nap. The man who had been observing this through the store follows them into the parking lot and, and stops the woman to compliment her. 
I couldn't help noticing how patient you were with little Monica, he began. Whereupon the mother says, what do you mean? My little girl's name is Tammy. I'm Monica. <laughs> oh, so whatever your name is, there, there, Josephine, there, there, John. It's going to be okay. Only two more hours of this meditation retreat and then you can go home and take a nice nap or go get some beer or some cappuccino, whatever it is that's going to float your boat. And, you know... <laughs> But that's the compassion, that's the self-compassionate voice. There, there, it's going to be okay. There, there, we're going to get through this. Oh, you're startled and upset. It's going to be okay. We'll, we'll find a way. Let's have a nice cup of tea and, you know, sit down and, you know, this too will pass, right? It's a, it's a kind responsiveness, right, that we need with ourselves. And when we, when, when, the more that we do that, the more it spills over. The more we're naturally compassionate and forgiving, and tender with others, because we know it in our, we know the struggle in ourselves. We've learned how to soften towards that struggle in ourselves. Lama, he says, if you don't want to help people, that's okay. Just don't cause any problems. You know, it's a beautiful quality. It's one of the most sublime qualities, I think, that, that we have as humans, this ability to care for others, ability to care for people we don't even know. You know, a tremendous amount of charity happens and, and philanthropy and generosity for people we'll never ever see or all around the world and different species we'll never even encounter. But there's, in the human heart has this capacity you know, which is counter-evolutionary in some ways, to care for those other than our kith and kin. It's not, it won't necessarily support our survival needs to send money to villages in, uh, in Haiti. But we do, because we care, because the, the heart has that capacity to care, even for people we don't, we'll never even meet. It's a beautiful thing. Right? And, and in these troubled times, it's really important to remember the goodness of humanity, the goodness of our nature, and that there will always be more people expressing goodness than not. It's just the nature of human evolution. Whether, you know, whether that expresses itself in, in, in the vote or, other, or the legislation, that's a whole different matter. But on the ground, in a day-to-day -day way, the goodness of human interaction and kindness and compassion is very evident. So let's sit together. Again, if you've been sitting a while, please feel free to stand for a second or stretch or arrange your seats or out of compassion for yourself, give your knees a break.
Share one last story. This is a really touching story. It's from a wonderful book that I love called um, The Compassionate Life. It's written by a journalist, and it's just a brilliant expose of compassion. Anyhow, in this book, he's um, talking about the evolutionary biological origins of compassion in, in, in other species, and he particularly is uh, researching um, these qualities in chimpanzees. And um, he's talking about the, the, the famous uh, American chimpanzee. So he goes, visits the, the research lab, which I think is in somewhere in the south, in the south um, where Washoe, who is a well-known chimp, is, uh, lives. And Washoe was the first to use American Sign Language um, and once leaped, leapt over a dangerous high-voltage fence to pull a newly arrived chimp from the water, risking her life for an individual she'd only known for a few hours. And... Um, uh, the researcher who uh, the journalist is, is interviewing um, uh, describes how Washoe, who had lost both her offspring as infants, reacted when a, a keeper told her that her newborn had just died. And Washoe, looking d- deeply into the, grieve- in the eyes of the grieving woman, Washoe signed in sign language, cry, and then traced it on her own cheek the path a tear would take down a human's cheek. Because chimps don't shed tears. But she knew that human beings shed tears in certain ways. And then Washoe, the chimp, signed in sign language, uh, please person hug. Please person hug. It's very touching, right? Here's this keeper that she's probably had a very intimate relationship with, you know, responding with empathy, with uh, compassion of, of her losing her, her young one. Please, person, hug. So if you're lying down, you, you, only, you can only lie down if you promise me you're not going to fall asleep. Now this is this is nap time, right? So, um, so if you if you're lying down, the person next to you has full privilege to touch you when you start snoring. Okay, all right. So, and if you if you are sleepy, you might want to do a standing meditation because that will be much less likely of you going to fall asleep. So just stand away, or if you fall asleep halfway through, just stand and do a standing practice. Or if you're asleep, you also have your eyes slightly open. And then, so I'm going to sort of interweave a loving kindness and compassion practice. So the compassion practice, which you can do in its in, uh, as a discrete practice, you can also integrate into the loving kindness practice because compassion is really just. You know, two sides of the same coin. The open heart, when it meets pain, turns to compassion. So, um, so I'm going to have you uh, call to mind people who are doing well, who you wish metaphor, and people who are suffering, who you wish compassion for. So we're going to just sort of feel the different qualities of the heart as it moves from kindness to compassion. 
and the phrase for compassion is slightly different. It's it, it's oriented towards the suffering, so it's rather than wishing someone well, you're wishing for someone to be free of pain ourselves. The phrases are may you be free of pain and suffering, and may you hold your pain or difficulty with ease or with kindness. Okay, so let's sit together and find a comfortable posture. Sensing your heart, you might want to place your hand on your heart if that helps connect you with a sense of heartfulness. I invite you to start by calling to mind the person that's easiest for you to feel love towards. Animal. Maybe it's easy for you to feel that simplicity of love for a dog or a cat. Infant, baby, child. or someone you don't even know so well, but you have that this very warm, unconditional regard. Ying. Ending of metta, loving-kindness. Happy. Healthy. with ease. Wishes, sometimes timing the wishes with the breath can be help make the practice more embodied.
Call to mind a loved one, someone who you care a lot about, who is going through a hard time, who is in pain, physical pain, life, difficult life circumstances. Mind in your heart and see if you can also feel with compassion, compassion, to suffer with, to feel with. Can we feel the stress?
care about you. May you be free of pain. or your suffering with ease or with kindness. Free and pain and sorrow. Pain, your difficulty. in your heart as you Free of pain and suffering.
find a good friend. Find someone whom life is currently going well, going okay. Someone you care about, and yet someone who is Find, sense them, visualize them, say their name. Love and kindness. Qualities.
mind, a dear friend who is currently struggling, having a hard time physically, life circumstances. Close into your heart, feeling their difficulty. You be free of pain. Kindness. Breathing in their struggle and breathing out kindness. Your pain and sorrow. Be with the difficulty with ease, kindness. thinking about your friend and come back to difficulty and you're wishing them to be free of it.
Lastly, turning that attention to yourself in whatever ways that you may be struggling personally. Life circumstances, relationship, loss. When attending to your own struggle or pain, of the same wishes, may I too be free of pain and sorrow. to hold my struggles with care, with kindness.
world in all the ways and it is suffering place or people's those who are dying, or those who are imprisoned. There is a brokenness out of which comes the unbroken, a shatteredness out of which blooms the unshatterable. There is a sorrow beyond all grief which leads to joy, and a fragility out of whose depths emerges strength. There is a hollow space too vast for words through which we pass with each loss out of whose darkness we are sanctioned into being. There is a cry deeper than all sound whose serrated edges cut the heart as we break open to the place inside which is unbreakable and whole. Again, I'm going to invite us to uh, stand and go outside and do some walking practice. And you can do the same practice you did this morning. You could do a simple mindfulness practice, up and down or meandering. You could also incorporate into the practice the loving kindness wishes. May I be well? Um, just, uh, just I suggest you keep it very simple. One phrase: May I be happy? Or you pass people, may you be happy? Or you see a bird, may you be happy? So there's just a general sense of warmth, or to the trees or the grasses. Or if there's a more of a quality of compassion, you can also 
incorporate a phrase of the, may you be free of pain, may you be free of suffering. So we'll do that for uh, 20 minutes or so. We'll come back, I'll have some discussion, and then we'll do one final, more interactive, or a couple of interactive practices. Okay, thanks. I'll ring it, can ring the bell at 3.30.
have an announcement. If someone, anybody here with a gold Honda Civic? Gold Honda Civic. Registration number 5WK146. Just in case, just in case what? <laughs> You'd like one? <laughs> it's going free. So we're going to raffle it later, gold Honda Civic. I don't know. Um, while I'm on the announcements, um, there's a woman needs a ride to Fairfax at the end of the program. Can anybody give someone a ride to Fairfax? You can give a ride. And who's the person who needs it? Now you're over there. So if you can connect this lady here, go for your ride. You have a gold Honda Civic? <laughs> it's, it's, it's Donna. Okay. <laughs> so before we go into the next thing, any, any questions or comments about the uh, compassion practice? Being outside, but particularly that just that that refraction of the lens, right? Kindness is of you know the loving kindness practice, right? Turn towards pain right? becomes this responsive care. Right? Comments, questions about that. All perfectly compassionate warriors ready to launch in the world that's great yes what about boundaries what about, boundaries? <laughs> what about them and like give me a little more context of what the question where the question is coming from Questions of what about how to maintain boundaries uh, and letting suffering in. So, so I can guess I need to hear more about the question. Is um, so so what what is the issue? Is is there some concern that opening the heart means you'll lose? healthy boundaries or that your your boundary or your orientation is to let too much suffering in this detrimental is that I think that there are certain people that I can like identify with really strongly. And so when those people have come into my meditation, I have wanted to be careful mm -hmm. about maintaining my own sense of self. Mm -hmm. And what happens if you don't? What's the, what's the... Then I get afraid of losing or like just connecting. Becoming like enmeshed yeah. or overwhelmed. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, def that definitely can happen. Um, you know, there's a... You know, there's the 
emotional contagion is when we get swept up in someone else's experience that we can't distinguish ourselves or others or we lose that discriminating ability. So we, we kind of, yeah, it's easier to get overwhelmed or swamped or um, not have clear, clear seeing. Right? We want to be able to you know, be helpful, not just drown in someone else's experience. So, you know, I think we all have to, um, I think we all, we all titrate that or moderate that, generally speaking, um, by proximity of contact, by longevity of contact with someone. You know. um, some are more sensitive than others, so maybe you're more sensitive, I don't know. But some people f- you know, feel others' pain more, just more, more open. Um, and so it's really important, you know, the, the, in the context of the practice, we're cultivating love in the context of wisdom, right? So our, our, so our metta is wise metta, not muddled metta, right? So muddled metta is where, for example, we might be loving in a way that's not necessarily uh, helpful for ourselves or another person, right? Like becoming enmeshed, like codependency, and all the different ways that uh, love can become entangled with needs and attachments and all of that. So I think you, it's just important to listen, to listen to when, you know, to what your capacity is, to what you can tolerate, to what you can. Um, uh, what and who you can be around, where you can maintain a healthy boundary, you know, and just to learn to listen when that, you know, our body will give us a signal when we're when our boundary is being violated by ourselves or others, and mostly we just ignore it, right? And so we want to be attuned intuitively to our body that's telling us about the need for healthy boundaries. And there's definitely a place for health. Healthy boundaries. My meta is not about being a doormat. It's about being you know, loving and sometimes fierce. And sometimes that love expresses itself as no. You know. And then sometimes it's tough love. Sometimes it's fierce love. So um, tune to that and discerning. And as I said, I think the body is often telling us, you know. Mm-mm. No, back away, <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> uh, not helpful, not useful. Um, but we tend to not listen to that and get into trouble. It's my experience. <laughs> yes. And there's one here. Ooh, and then this chap here in, in with the avocado. I was wondering about Buddhist activism. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that a lot of their um, belief system is based on acceptance and um, just holding good energy and everything is the way it's supposed to be. So, I mean, maybe that's not exactly right, but... That's New know. Age interpretation oh, okay. of Buddhism. Well, seeing things as they are... And but I, I don't hear that much about Buddhist activism, right? And I'm just wondering what, in the context of politics and stuff, I mean, you don't hear too much of them in politics or that. So what what yeah. would be a good platform? So, well, yeah. So um, the main forum forum here is Buddhist Peace Fellowship. So if you wanted to tap into Buddhist activism, that is the most. Mm, you know, 
self-developed organization around Buddhist, engaged Buddhist practice. And there's certainly a lot, you know, as Buddhism's come to the West, it's revived and engaged Buddhist activism. Um, so you could look up engaged Buddhism or Buddhist Peace Fellowship or the or INAB, International Network of Engaged Buddhists. Um, and um, no, yeah, there's, there's a, you know, Buddhism in the West is very new. It's, 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 you know, it's barely out of diapers, you know, in terms of its as a religion, you know, as a as a philosophy. It's been here for forty years, which is like blink of an eye, it's nothing. So, um, it, you know, it takes generally, historically speaking, it's taken a couple of hundred years when Buddhism moves to a new country for it to flourish fully. Right? So. Um, you know, as, as Buddhism interacts with, with at least, like for example, this scene, the insight meditation, Theravadan, Vipassana scene, you know, it's taking some time, took some time to establish itself in the, in the, in the practice and the meditation retreats and the trainings. And, and I would say that the, you know, There's a growing movement towards being more engaged and politically active. You know, we, of us Buddhist teachers went to um, Capitol Hill um, a couple of years ago. It was the first coalition of uh, first coalition of Buddhists nationwide to be uh, delegation sent to. Uh, um, to meet with various folks from Capitol Hill and as, as a recognizable political body, you know, representing several million, if not more, practitioners. So, um, you know, it's it's a slow. Um, I mean, in, 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 yeah, it's a slow movement. But but certainly since the election, I you know I barely know anybody. Uh, anyone of my colleagues who's not becoming much more socially and politically active since thank you again um, so my I have some frustrations around meta practice and it is basically that in practice those types of loving kindness meditations and just trying to feel my heart center, I have a really hard time with that. Mm -hmm. And I have a hard time with it because I feel other areas of my body that hold whatever they hold. And um, like it really just overshadows my, my heart. And mm. I don't know what to do about that, mm. except keep going. And, mm -hmm. um, but I feel I have a lot of energy behind my eyes, and I have a lot of energy in my gut. And those are pretty powerful and really difficult to. Um... When you say energy, is it literally like energy, or is it? Yeah, I mean, I feel it very. I mean, right? I feel like I've I've been going through a pretty difficult time in my life, and I have a lot of sadness, and mm -hmm. I feel that behind my eyes, and I feel mm -hmm. like the anxiety and the fear of my life and my gut, and that's been there for my whole life, mm -hmm. as far as I can remember. And it comes and goes, and it waxes and wanes, and as my life gets easier and more difficult, but. So can you bring loving kindness to that? Sometimes, but I, I, I'm, I want to feel it in my heart. I mean, I am a heart-centered person. I mm -hmm. have my job requires it. I mm -hmm. know I'm a kind person out in the world. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't, there's a disconnect between that and the ability for me to hold that in my body. 
How long have you been doing the loving-kindness practice? Not probably that long, but I've been meditating on and off for a long time, many years since I was a teenager. Hmm. How much do you do the loving-kindness practice? How much, how, much how, much, did, how much then? No, no. How much do you do the loving-kindness practice? Probably not, not much mm-hmm. right now. I mean, I'm focusing on other things in meditation. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I'd say you know, in, sometimes it takes a while. Sometimes it takes a long. You know, it took me, you know, many, many years to work on it. Like many years, like intensive practice, long retreats, like you know. So, um, so it's not necessarily an easy or quick thing, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and especially if you've got other centers, you know. Belly center, head center. That's that's call, calling the attention, right? And my sense is, until that's resolved, that's not that's not going to be so accessible. Right? Whatever's behind the eyes and the tears and the, the emotion here, that's like that. That's wanting the attention. That's so that that's that that to me feels like the doorway. And the more you can bring the loving kindness to that and that, then it will it will probably. Uh, contactable. Yeah. I understand the, the 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 longing to feel it here, but but you, you know, I also you don't have to feel it here, right? Say it's more important how you are in your life, and if you're a kind, loving person in your life, then the practice is working. Right? Sometimes we don't feel much in meditation. This Sharon Salzberg, who you know, really is reintroduced this practice here a lot in the West and she says has a story of she has a student friend of hers who had been doing this practice quite consistently for about five years and he said you know you know I'm kind of been reassessing the practice and you know my wife tells me I'm a little easier to be with and my kids certainly think I'm you know a lot you know, nicer to be around and, and the people at work think you know yeah, I've changed you know over the five years but my meditation in the in the, the meta practice when I'm doing it, it's, it's difficult and it's boring and I don't like it and you know but is that enough you know and here he's having these great transformations in his life in the meditation practice it's like sometimes it feels interesting sometimes it doesn't but the proof is in the pudding of our life right that's where we want to see it so and that may be very true for you it may not be such a heartful juicy resonant whatever practice in the sitting of it. But it may be impacting in your life, so just be also watchful of needing something to happen here more than actually in your life. But I do think these centers need some attention, probably. Probably. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> Question? Yes. I wondered if you could speak a little bit to um, about the practice of metta and um, the compassion practice of Tonglen, because mm. I've been working with that for mm-hmm. a few years, mm-hmm. and you you sort of brought that in today, mm-hmm. and I was sort of like, oh, I don't think I've ever, mm-hmm. in all these years, I've actually not connected these two practices when I sit uh, and meditate. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Why? I don't yeah. know. I just yeah. kind of was like, oh, that's... Yeah. 
weird. I guess I should have been doing it. So I, yeah. I wondered if that's, like, it was just sort of a natural thing today. Yeah, well, I never do either, so it's the first time I've ever done that. Which so maybe you never that's do what? You never mix, mix and match? <laughs> in, woven in Tonglen in that way. So Tonglen is a giving and receiving practice of taking in the suffering of others and, and giving out light, love, etc. And so it's a very specific practice, but it's also not dis- none of these practices are that dissimilar of you know, com- you know, compassion of God. And so, um, so I did with that breathing in, you know, breathing in suffering, breathing out love, that's a Tonglen practice, basically. Right. That's the essence. So, yeah, you can do that with metta, you can do that with compassion the way we've been doing it here. It's just the same. Yeah, you can just integrate it. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I mean, compassion is an, is an out, outflow of metta practice. So... I don't normally use that language, but it's a fine way to hold it. And especially, you know, I, I, I do my meta practice with the breath, because that's just what spontaneously happens. And, and it, you know, so Tonglen's often can be breath-oriented, giving and receiving, inhale, exhale. So why not integrate it? Why not? Yeah. Never works is my motto. So I was curious about that, because I'd always practice that as like breathing in you know suffering of others and breathing out love and I hadn't ever thought of it for myself so of course I promptly breathed in my sleepiness and breathed out alertness that was really helpful no but I hadn't thought of that that you mm. could do that for yourself you know mm. sort of breathe in your own stress and breathe out equanimity mm. for yourself but mm. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that either until you, you mentioned it so thank you that's good all right Lots of learning. Yes, Evelyn. Um, and then this woman at the front here, in black. Evelyn? I always um, find great comfort in the self-compassion um, uh, and get a lot of peace and a peaceful heart from that, almost to the point that it makes me um, wonder if that's really okay. Or am I not... Sometimes I feel like maybe I even have more compassion for myself than for the person that I'm really concerned about and struggling. Or, I guess... You might. Yeah, I might. Is that okay? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I mean, I want to be a really loving person. Right. Well, you might be also, and you might be more compassionate with yourself. It's okay. No rule about what the ratio should be. I mean, well, ultimately, we're compassionate, you know, regardless for, to all, right? But, you know, usually our bias is others, not self. Yours is maybe more self than others, but... And just work on the other piece. But I wouldn't worry about it too much, is what I'm saying. <laughs> okay, I'll take that. <laughs> Yeah, just just allow that wellspring of self-compassion to to flow to flow over. Um, when I um, do have that, what it gives me is such a peaceful feeling that um, you know I feel like I can go on. You know, yeah. and that's uh, resourcing. It's it's yeah. resilience building. Mm-hmm. Right. But I'm also hearing you, you feel a little guilty about it. Well, I kind of, <laughs> I kind of do sometimes. Yeah. 
can I relieve you of the guilt and just enjoy it? Just for, uh, in this, uh, yeah, it's a healthy self-care and a healthy self-love. You know? I mean, if, you, if that was all you did and you just lived in a cocoon, I'd say, yeah, you might want to think about orienting it toward the other people, but I, I'm hearing that you do, so. Thanks, Mark. So I really enjoy the, the meta because it takes me out of my mind immediately and into my feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, we talk about the feel the ease, feel the peace. Is there anywhere in there to talk about surre- surrender? Is that any part of meta or is that not? You mean in, in the wish for yes. others? Is I it mean, appropriate? You can, wish, you can wish what you want. I mean, if that's what you wish for yourself and others, then... If that's resonant, you know, we use the wishes that are resonant for you. Okay. So if, if, if your wish is rather than peace, it's surrender, then just, yeah, whatever. You know, whatever. The, the, the nice thing about the meta practice is you just want to be as creative as necessary and, and, and do and say whatever works. So, so use the language or the imagery or the people or the rhythm or the, you know, as 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 you need, so yeah. By all means, if surrender's the word, then yeah, surrender. Coming off of your comment, I um, I got a little hung up on uh, wishing myself to be free from sorrow mm-hmm. because. I don't see that necessarily as, I mean, I feel like sorrow will always be with me. Mm-hmm. And so Why? I wonder, um, I feel like it's something that I will hold always as you know, part of the human experience. Uh-huh. I have joy also. Mm-hmm. I have sorrow. Mm-hmm. I have angst. I have every, all the full range. But sorrow doesn't seem like something that I will be free of ever. Mm-hmm. And so I wondered about that wish for ourselves mm-hmm. in terms of what that and when you wish for yourself to be free of sorrow, mm-hmm. what do you wish for yourself? Um, I don't use that word generally so much for myself. Um, I usually mostly use pain. I just use I just throw in different words because different words resonate with different people. Um, so, but it's also a classic word that the Buddha, well, I know the Buddha used, the way the, way the Buddha's word teaching is translated, sorrow is a common use word. And I think what it's referring to, not, not the natural sadness that comes as a result from feeling the pain of the world, but I think the way it's used in the Buddhist lexicon is more, there's a trace of aversion in it. There's a trace of resisting the pain of the world. That, that's, what, that's, that's how that world, word is used a little bit. So it's more free, free from the agitation, of, from the, the agitation that comes from looking at the pain of the world would be a better description. Yeah, you know? I love that. Thank you. Yeah, okay. Because, you know, there'll always be, you know, the world isn't going to, you know, there's always going to be suffering in the world, and so if one's open-hearted, there will be tenderness and, and, and sadness and sorrow at the painful things that human beings do to each other. It's just painful. It is, it is sorrowful. You know, what, 
what's happening politically and Yeah, there's a, there's a, I was going to read this piece from Trungpa Rinpoche. Um, that he writes about the awakened heart and um, speaks to that. It's not exactly sorrow, but um, he talks about when, when, when we wake up the, What's left is is a tender-hearted uh, sadness, and that's the the heart of a warrior that we that we that we bring into the world. Right? We bring in that the tenderness that's that motivates us the, the, to respond to the suffering in the world. You know? I work with clients that have lost all hope. Mm-hmm. I work with people that feel pretty bad about themselves at a very, very deep level. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I'm patient and I'm compassionate. And I notice as I work with people for years that are very, very depressed or very psychotic and they don't seem to change very much, Mm -hmm. I start noticing I have frustration. So you're at a compassion workshop (laughs) trying to understand how to continue to have this never ever flowing compassion. And also there's also some combativeness too where I'm blamed because mm-hmm. they don't know sure. what else to do with it. Right, you're not fixing them. Yeah, so I find myself um, sometimes not having compassion, and then I feel guilty. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, sounds, I don't know where sounds, I'm going with this. Sounds I think, pretty normal to me Yeah. <laughs> in the mental health field. Yeah, and that's hard. It's hard working with that. You know, long-term end of the depression spectrum. It's just—it's really hard work because progress is is glacial, and, um, and the hope is often absent. And, um, and the frustration on the, from the client with the work and with you, and and da, 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 and then and then whatever counter-transference you have around. Well, I should be helping more. I should be able to do something. You know, I just—it's a—it's a difficult scenario. You know, I know that from experience. And um, <clears throat> you know, self-compassion is important. You know, just it's hard to hold that week in, week out. Um, clearly, obviously, hard for them to live in that. Um, and <clears throat> you know, I think the more that we can access. That emotional um, uh, regard, that you know, care that doesn't have an agenda about whether this changes. That's the key. That's the rub. The rub is both sides are frustrated at the lack of change. Right? It's not your job to change them. You know. It's their, it's their work to do. You're there to help, but you can't make someone 
going to talk about the obstacles to metta. And one of the obstacles to metta is 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 um, love with an agenda. You know, and we we have an agenda, right? They they clearly have an agenda. They're coming in. They're probably paying you <laughs> to fix. You know, to to get help, right? And but when our metta has an agenda, then there's some demand. There's some pressure in the system. And when where we take the demand out of the agenda, out of it, there's just here we are together, and there's suffering and there's pain, and may you be happy. There's a, there's a there's a there's a surrender. Talking of that word that someone was speaking to, there's a not a, not an acquiescence, but a, um, it takes the struggle out of the fighting with what is, which is chronic depression. But it's still not easy. It's still not easy to sit with. <laughs> and that's where we have the self-compassion. <laughs> you know, and the reflection about, you know, again, back to this conversation about boundaries. How much, I, how much can I do? How much is tolerable? How much can I, you know, how much of that population can I be effective with? And how much can I also need to work either with other populations or how much do I need to nourish myself with, you know, nature and other things, balance and not burning out? Right? So it's a multifaceted thing. So. Magic pill, but there isn't one. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So I'm really curious about cultivating the quality of sympathetic joy. Mm -hmm. So I find it challenging, especially if I have a colleague or somebody who's sort of at the same professional level or something like that, and they achieve success. Mm -hmm. And I have this tremendous kind of desire to be so happy and overjoyed for them. And like it might sound a little dramatic, but almost to the point where I would love to have a colleague see success and then be so overjoyed that I cry because I'm so happy for them. Mm -hmm. But I find that in the background sometimes there's can be a little bit of envy or mm -hmm. jealousy. Just a little or, bit? Yeah, or, <laughs> or more than a little bit sometimes, right? Um, so anyway, I'm, my question is around, is there any guidance you can provide or uh, a path to cultivating this, this quality? Are there meditations or... Mm -hmm. Different things that are specific mm. to cultivating sympathetic joy. Mm -hmm. Well, I have a bunch of talks on it. If you go to dharmaseed.org, there's a bunch of talks on that. It's a beautiful quality, mudita, appreciative joy. We'll do some in a minute. Um, <clears throat> um, yeah, it's a lot to say. Um, you know, it's totally human that you feel envy. Like, don't think that's, you know, don't make that a problem. I mean, it's, it's, it's a very a painful, and the pain of it will be enough to motivate you to find another way to respond. But, um, you know, we're human, of course. We, we compare and compete in a work setting, and, you know, someone gets a raise or a promotion ahead of you, and, oh, great, I'm so happy for you. You're going to be my boss? Oh, you're making twice as much money as me now? Great. Let's go celebrate. <laughs> Not. Um, <laughs> so, um, you know, I think, again, we, we start with ourselves. We start with 
acknowledging the pain, acknowledging the truth, which is, you know, we might be happy for them because then one might be a friend as well as a colleague and, you know, good for them for, you know, getting ahead. And, wow, I really, and then acknowledging, yeah, I wish that was happened to me too. And well, that's really frustrating. I didn't get that, whatever it was. That, um, so, you know, so feeling both sides of it and, and then keeping the judge out. You know, the judge saying, oh, you should just be very magnanimous. And, and, um, <clears throat> and then, you know, we're, we're you know, inquiring into, you know, the, the, under, the underpinnings of envy as thing, you know, all kinds of erroneous beliefs like happiness is limited. And if someone is successful, it means less, less success for me. If someone's really ecstatic over there, it means less happiness for me over here. And... Um, if I contract to someone's success, it'll somehow make me feel better, which of course doesn't. And um, yeah, I, and and the practice of gratitude, of seeing what we already have and our blessings, and um, so there's a lot of different practices that are really helpful like that. Gratitude, particularly for seeing what we do have, rather than always looking at what other people have and what we don't have, and. You know, we were all very blessed. The fact that we're here today at Spirit Rock in Marin County, we have a lot of blessings. Like, we may have a lot of hardship too that we don't know about. We have blessings. Like, so we look, we appreciate that. You know, uh, really, I think it's the most effective count antidote for envy is is gratitude. Seeing, seeing. But check out some talks. There is a lot of strategies that are really helpful. It's a really useful thing to. Yes. Did you have a question in pink? Oh, exact question. Look at that, Tufa. Uh, I was going to say that I've been doing the meta and um, practice, and I see and experience the beauty of it. But I find myself, my mind orients towards comparing the uh, near enemy of mudita, mm-hmm. so that when I'm thinking about someone who's struggling. I have no problem feeling loving kindness and compassion, but then I also feel, thank God I don't have that problem, or mm-hmm. I try to think of it as being grateful. And even worse, when I think about someone who's doing really well, I'm glad for that person, but I also feel envy and jealousy. Mm-hmm. And um, when I'm feeling that, I try to think, so this is just what it's like to feel envy. and. This mm-hmm. is just what it's like to feel jealousy. And then I feel compassion mm-hmm. for myself. Mm-hmm. And that usually circles into being grateful again, that I can be compassionate with mm-hmm. myself. And I'm yeah. always in this kind of circle. Yeah, beautiful. Self-fulfilling loop. Self, yeah. yeah. Is it beautiful? Because yeah. I felt a little guilty about it, that I no, felt so. I was a little self-absorbed until you just said it's human, and I felt much better. Yeah. Well, it gets you out of the pain of envy. I think that's a healthy thing. Thank you. Yeah, good. All right, I so we're going to do. We're going to um, let's hold that question because I um, we, we can ask me at the end if you need to. I want to do a pra- one practice before we go. So I want everyone to stand, and those sitting at the back, I want you to move your cushions and chair and your cushions to the side. So let's clear that space at the back, and volunteers can help clear any remaining zafus and zabatons. And I want us all to walk, to go into the space in the back of the room, back half of the room. And we're going to do some live loving kindness, compassion practice.
because the point of the practice is to live this stuff. So I want everybody, just as you get to the back, just to start wandering around, milling around. <coughs> just walk around, um, walk into the space, wherever this space. So you might turn around, you might double back, you might meander, just walk around. And just firstly, first, mostly be with yourself, be with your, um, your own experience. Feel your feet on the floor, feel the air, feel your body moving. And begin to notice the people around you. And you're passing all these people you've been sitting with today at Spirit Rock and your Sangha. Unity. Both aware of yourself and aware of the other people you're walking by. There may be eye contact, there may be not. And just present, mixing up your walking, so you're not just all walking around like a race course or something, you know. And um, as you might do walking downtown San Francisco or wherever, you're just practicing a little stealth meta. So you just wishing someone well you walk by, slipping in a little loving kindness, a little may you be happy or may you be peaceful or may you live with ease. Whatever your word is, may you surrender. And also, you're noticing you're giving and receiving because people are walking past you and you're probably, they're probably offering you kindness. So notice that. Peaceful. Healthy. exercise a little differently than I normally do. So I'm going to have you stand in front of somebody just for a few moments and just pray and just don't get too comfortable just a few moments just and just wish this person well. Whatever your phrases are silently. May you be healthy. Silently, silently. Ending meta. Here is human just like you, wants to be happy just like you. 
sorrows just like you. Happy. May you be peaceful. Healthy. And we're going to turn our attention to the next quality, the quality of compassion. Keep moving. (laughs) 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 And just to be mindful as you're walking by people. These people, just like you, experience loss experience physical pain, experience disappointment, experiencing outbreak, ability, aging, and many difficult things in life. Parenting, love, as we walk around may you be free of pain may you be free of suffering whatever burden it is you carry a burden's whatever difficulties you have with kindness and care. And in front of somebody right now, it might be behind you, in front of you. And you can stand. Just join a group of two and just, again, tuning into this person's sorrow or pain or suffering, whatever it might be, the human, vulnerable, maybe free of sorrow. Challenge human life brings, inevitable as it is, Relief of suffering for others. And then, thank you. And we turn our hearts to the third quality, which we've just been talking about, the quality of joy, appreciative joy. Quality is appreciating the happiness and success of others. 
So we don't know a lot of these people, but we know if they're human, they have joys, they have happiness. Maybe it's being at Spirit Rock, maybe it's being in nature, maybe it's, who knows, having a nice cappuccino in the morning or nice dark chocolate or whatever it is, floats the bell, being with their children or exercising or succeeding at work. We all have a lot of moments of joy, of success, of accomplishment. So Mudita is orienting to people's goodness, their strengths, their qualities, their gifts, their successes, their happiness. Phrase is basically, I'm happy for your happiness. May your happiness continue. Light in your happiness. May your happiness and good fortune continue. fortune to be here, hmm? not working on a Saturday, it's good fortune. Yeah, can walk, this is good fortune. is working as far as we can. probably has enough to eat. This is a blessing. And safe drinking water. This is a blessing. So whatever in small or large ways, may your happiness continue to grow. Flourish. This is a direct complement to the compassion practice rather than uh, orienting just to the sorrow, we also orient to the, the joy, the good fortune, the happiness. Thing. And in front of someone, just for a few moments, And not knowing this person, but sensing into whatever joy or happiness they have. And flourish. last quality of these four qualities of the heart, boundless heart qualities, nimini, which is heart that's balanced, that's accepting, that's allowing of experience as it is.
who these people are or what they experience. Can we ourselves life as it is? Doesn't mean being passive, it just means we first radically show up and meet what is. Accepting joys, sorrows. brief life tour through the four what's called Brahma Viharas or divine abodes. I want people to shout out one at a time if you if that can happen. Just what are you what are you feeling right now as you walk around? Just any any word. Love. Way to your seats. Spirit <laughs> <laughs> Rock's offering timeshares. You can move in, you know, get a house on the hill. Very sweet. Yeah, that's a different way of doing the loving kindness practices, right? Live, real time. Yeah, you do that anywhere. You're walking around your neighborhood, walking downtown San Francisco, Oakland, wherever you live. Um, just you know, alone as we think we are. Share a couple of things. I would like a few more hours because I'm not really done. This is one of these themes that requires a lot of unpacking. And um, so, from Naomi Shihab Nye, Palestinian poet, 
The Arabs used to say, when a stranger appears at your door, feed them for three days before asking who he is, where he's come from, where he's headed. That way he'll have enough strength, enough to answer. Or by then you'll be such good friends you don't even care. Let's go back to that. Rice? Pine nuts? Here, take the red brocade pillow. My child will serve you water to, water to your horse. No, I was not busy when you came. I was not preparing to be busy. That's the armor everyone puts on to pretend they had a purpose in life. I refuse to be claimed. Your plate is waiting. We will snip fresh mint into your tea. So, you know, the point of these practices is, is, to, is to take them off the cushion into our lives, into our conversations, into our relationships, into our work, into our activism, into our social engagement, whatever it is that you're, whatever worlds that you orient in. Um, is how do we extend this love and compassion that's both tender and fierce uh, into our lives and into the world. And as, as we know, the world is needing so much strong, courageous, loving beings right now to stand up uh, against hatred, stand up against racism, stand up against violence, stand up against prejudice, stand up against fear. Lama, he says, every day think as you wake up. Today I am fortunate to have woken up. I am alive, I have a precious human life. I am not going to waste it. I'm going to use my energies to develop myself, expand my heart to others, to awaken for the benefit of all beings. I'm going to have kind thoughts towards others. And on and on it goes. He says, never give up. Never give up developing the heart. Too much energy in this country is spent developing the mind. Instead, cultivate the heart. Be compassionate, not just to your friends, but to everyone. Work for peace in your heart and the world. And I say never. And I say again, never give up. No matter what is going on around you, never give up. These are very timely words. You know, we need resilience. We need endurance. We need love. And we need each other. Slogan that was used by the DNC, "Stronger t- Together," uh, is more apt than ever. Stronger together. A close they often do with this beautiful poem by Diane Ackerman, uh, writer and poet and nature lover and activist. It's called School Prayer. In the name of daybreak and the eyelids of morning and the wayfaring moon and the light when it appears and departs, I swear I will not dishonor my own soul with hatred, but offer myself humbly as a guardian of nature a healer of misery, a messenger of wonder, and an architect of peace. I will honor all life wherever and in whatever form it may dwell, on earth my home and in the mansions of the stars. So I love that aspiration to be a guardian of nature, healer of misery, messenger of wonder, and an architect of peace. Beautiful things can arise out of this practice. So I want to thank you for your time here today. And um, 
those of you ease need to sign out somewhere and um, yeah. trail. I am on a book tour but it's mostly I've done mostly done my book tour here but um, if you go to my website markcoleman.org you can see a lot of my stuff books and nature retreats and book tour and all kinds of interesting audio video virtual reality stuff, apps, there's all kinds of things you can check out for, you know, important resources around meditation and stuff. Um, and um, I'm going to be back here, I think, pretty soon, teaching that, oh, that introductory mindfulness class starting early February, Tuesdays, and then I'm here on Monday night. Yes, I have a couple of slots left for my Meditation in Nature Baja Kayaking and Meditation Retreat. Terrible, but you know you, you might want to drag yourself there, um, and um, yeah. So day longs this year here, and so anyhow, suffering, and may we dedicate the goodness of our practice today, today, for the welfare and the happiness and the freedom. Of Everybody, go safe. Thank you. And there is a mailing list back there if you want to be on a mail list of mine. Yeah, of course. And I am signing books up here if I can find a pen. Oh, look at that. There you go. Testing. Excuse me, we need one more person willing to give somebody a ride to Fairfax. If you wouldn't mind raising your hand. Okay, all right. Thank you.